Christy. And I'm Keegan. And this is the Mastering Nun podcast. Today, we're going to learn a little bit about Ghirardelli's chocolate. Yum. Do we get chocolate? We do. I even have some right here that maybe we could test out a little later. I picked up since it's, you know. Oh, I can smell it through the bag. <laughs> since we're getting close to Easter, it was pretty easy to find chocolates around the store. Mm-hmm. Um, these are actually the Ghirardelli mini squares. And the reason I love the squares is a lot of times, especially these ones, they're filled with caramel. Mm, I, I can love. even see it right here. I see it on the picture dripping out. Yeah, these are, oh gosh, these are bite-sized, so they're very tiny. Um, so we'll just have we'll to get into more that of them. later. <laughs> All right. So why do we want to talk about Ghirardelli? Because uh, there's chocolate involved? Yeah. I was actually going to, to link this back to Pokemon Go. What? <laughs> because all great stories start with uh, Pokemon. Mm. So uh, Debatable. <laughs> last week, we were visiting a new town that's actually about 10 miles away from us. And we were wandering the town looking for Pokestops so we could get more goodies. And we saw this really cool uh, burned down building yeah. plaque. And actually, before we even got to the town, I, I saw a Pokestop and it said Ghirardelli. And I was like, what in the world is happening? Is this just like a special thing for this town? Yeah, because I've heard of Ghirardelli chocolate, and I knew that it was huge in San Francisco, but I didn't know that Mr. Ghirardelli himself lived practically down the street from us. I know. Like, we're almost neighbors. It's a small town. <laughs> yeah, no, this town is really small. It's, it's bite-sized, if you will. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so we decided to look all into Ghirardelli, what brought him to Hornitos, and how did he end up in San Francisco with his giant um chocolate business so for reference when we say small it's like it's kind of big as in there's a lot of acres on it but there's just probably about 300 people living in that town yeah it's pretty small in fact we're we're gonna post a picture on instagram of the ruins of the building you you wouldn't even be able to recognize it if there wasn't even a plaque there yep in fact as we were driving into town we were following the gps it said turn right at point of historic interest uh-huh. and we're like what is that what is so historical out here in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and who knew it was going to lead us to a podcast so let's talk about Ghirardelli and how he came to live in America so he was born in Italy um, and he really liked chocolate and candy as we all do mm. as a young child and to the point where he decided to start taking that on as his job so he just learned how to make candy? He did because he worked for, he apprenticed for a local candy maker. And yeah, I guess that's what you do in 1817. You like something and you want to go. And you well, just do it. Yeah, you just do it. So when he was about 20, he he and his wife sailed to Uruguay. And because in South America, there's so much chocolate and coffee. And so he decided to jump into the chocolate and coffee business. So do those uh, come from the same like nut i get not nut but bean bean yeah <laughs> i i i wish there was some sort of magical coffee chocolate bean combination i've had chocolate covered espresso beans mm-hmm. but i don't think they're the same bean i think they're just both um thrive in that south american environment mm. so that's why they're both down there 
And so he ended up in Lima and he opened up a candy store next to a cabinet maker by an, uh, the cabinet maker was an American named James Lick. And so James Lick, being an American, kind of had his ear on what was going on in America, decided that there was a lot going on in the, you know, 1840s, 1850s in Mm -hmm. North America. And so he decided to head to the Bay Area, um, the neighbor did, and he took 600 pounds of Ghirardelli's chocolate with him. What? So what would entice him? Did he steal it or like with him? No, he he took it with him. Like he didn't, no, he just like. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to show off my neighbor's oh. chocolate because what was happening around 1850 in California? The gold rush. The gold rush. So he heard all about the gold rush and he's like, hey, let's go there and see what we can do. And so Ghirardelli stayed in the late 1840s. He stayed in Peru, but, you know, Lick is telling him about all this great stuff happening in California. Gold was found at Sutter's Mill. And all of a sudden, business is booming. <laughs> so he, uh, Ghirardelli, came and joined his <clears throat> his former neighbor, and he opened up his first store in Stockton, which surprises me because if I was going to open a store at that time, I would probably open it in Sacramento, since Sutter's Mill is where all that gold was found. Mm-hmm. But really, probably in 1849, all of the middle of California, everywhere was gold was there. Gold until and- everyone took it all. <laughs> Yeah. And so he opened a store and he had supplies and candies for fellow miners. In fact, he was like, you know, I'm going to take my chances or not take my chances. I'm going to try my hand at gold mining and see if I can get lucky, too. Mm -hmm. And he did not. (laughs) (laughs) So he decided he was better off, you know, selling supplies. I mean, the miners needed stuff. Yeah, so the merchants like, in that era were also very successful. Yes. And so he, it was actually his first shop was in a tent in Stockton. And he ended up jumping back to San Francisco as well, as you know, with his former neighbor. And he opened up a second store on a street corner, you know, Broadway and Battery in San Francisco. So that was the first establishment in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now, do you remember Ghirardelli Square going to San Francisco? vaguely okay we're, we're gonna look at some pictures here i'll post some pictures on instagram as well because it is just this gorgeous uh is it made out of chocolate almost, almost? <laughs> no just the the sign is so gorgeous it's this whole square now and it actually has multiple uh, i think it has about 75 different businesses within it so it's like a, a definitely a tourist attraction but mm-hmm. we'll get to that right now he's just opening his first store and so in 1853, or sorry, 1851, as luck would have it, or as, you know, specifically bad luck, uh, a fire destroyed the San Francisco building. Mm. And then three days later, a fire destroyed his tent in Stockton. Do you think that was coincidental or was there some evil intent behind it? I think it was coincidental because around that time, the late 1800s, early 1900s, mm-hmm. fires in San Francisco were not not a good mix. <laughs> not a good mix. In fact, we could probably do a a whole separate podcast about the 1906 fire in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Um, so he kind of had to regroup, and he just put everything he had together. So Stockton's out of here now, and he reopened a coffee house in San uh, in San Francisco that same year. So we are in now in um the 1850s and the coffee house mm, let's just say it's not starbucks 
No, <laughs> it did not, not really take what? off at that point. Um, I guess. I guess you just got to be in downtown Seattle. Yeah, to that. start start your coffee business. Uh-huh. Um, so he decided to focus solely on candy shops, and he he opened one on the corner of Kearney and Washington Streets. And this is oh, Washington. I mean, that's close enough to Seattle. <laughs> Insert cricket sound. <laughs> um, okay, so this is where the modern day Gary Ghirardelli chocolate um has been working, you know, been manufacturing for over 150 years now. Mm-hmm. And so at this time in, in the early 1850s, 1852, records show that the company is importing 200 pounds of cocoa beans. 200. Do what for the year. Keep in mind, because we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna come back to. This. I'm trying to think if that's a little bit or a lot, because I know 200 pounds is a lot, but during a whole year, right? That's but less during, than a pound a day. But in the 1850s, there weren't nearly the population in San Francisco that there is now. Oh yeah. So and then also, you know, do people buy candy? Or they sit there in the the grocery store and get that impulse purchase chocolate bar. It's not right next to the checkout, yeah. so they don't even know it's there. Yep, so he's sitting here importing 200 pounds of cocoa beans, and he decides to take another shot at the um, the gold miners. And this is when he opened that store in Hornitos that we were talking about. And just a fun fact about Hornitos, because I forgot to mention it earlier, we have a lot of towns around us that have Spanish names. Uh-huh. And um, I was like, oh, I wonder what Hornitos means, because it sounds so pretty. It means small ovens, like the small mm-hmm. ovens that you would bake bread in in Mexico. And the reason of that is when you first came into town in in that time, in that era, you saw all these above ground graves that looked like they were cooking bread. Uh, <laughs> so they like think, that would just be lumps. Uh, no, like um, more like concrete, bo- like an oven, like a concrete box. Interesting. Yeah. So let's name it uh, little ovens or small ovens. I think Cornito sounds a lot better than small ovens because that's what the graves look like. It's not as catchy of a name. No. Little dead people oven. <laughs> so in, you know, it, that only lasted three years. And he's like, I, I got to go back to San Francisco. I really need to focus on this chocolate. And so, you know, so he did that till 1858. And then a few years later, somebody in the company, you know, one of the employees was like, hey, if we hang a bag of chocolate in a warm room, then the cocoa butter will drip out and this will be this will leave us with something that we can actually process into ground chocolate. And it's now called the Broma process. And that's generally how they manufacture chocolate these days. So imagine, I mean, I'm just gonna make up a story about this guy. He was probably just left the bag out overnight, forgot mm-hmm. to put it away, comes in the next morning, is like bosses like, who left this mess out? And he's like, no, I was doing an experiment. It's delicious. <laughs> okay, so now we're at 1866. And remember we were at 200 pounds of cocoa beans a year? Yeah. We are now at 1,000 pounds of cocoa beans Just per to year. San Francisco? Yeah, just to the Ghirardelli company, to this one company in San Francisco. Mm. So that was, you know, not even 15 years later. He uh, quintupled the amount. He multiplied it by five. Pretty good, but still only two and a half pounds of chocolate a day. Okay, well, let's uh, flash forward a few years. So (laughs) in the 1880s, three of his four sons became partners in the business. They just, okay, just to put this business size into perspective, there's 30 employees. 
So the thousand pounds of chocolate, you know, there's only 30. It's not like this huge company with like hundreds of employees. There's only 30 employees and they're shipping products all over the West to the Eastern United States, China, Mexico, and Japan. And it's like, we have our hands in too many things. So it wasn't just a chocolate business at this time. It was was coffee too. Coffee. It was wines. It was liquor. It was spices. Mm. So at this time, they're like, okay. So would you say that they were mastering then? (laughs) Good one. Um, Yeah. So they decided to focus, you know, narrow down the scope of this company. And in the mid 1880s, they're like, we're just going to sell chocolate coffee and spices that's it no more wine no more liquor and so in 1885 once they they narrowed down that focus they are now importing over 450,000 pounds of cocoa beans per year okay maybe that's a little more impressive that's a lot and very 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 much a lot (laughs) very much a lot okay so now his company is taking up a whole square block he retires as head of the company, turns it over to his three sons. And um, as that happens, this this whole square block that they have is the present location of Ghirardelli Square. So it's right on San Francisco's northern waterfront. And it's something It has this giant Ghirardelli sign that lights up in the back. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see it and, as the boats are coming in um, from the ocean. And um, it's just a welcoming sight for them. And then, you know, as people do, he dies. So he went home to Italy, um, died on his trip home in 1894. And so that's where our story with Mr. Ghirardelli ends. But obviously the company did not end. Still had three sons. Still had three sons. So in the right in 1900, they're like, okay, we got chocolate down. Mm-hmm. Let's stick with that. No more coffee. Spice, pretty much we're done with spices, but we will do mustard. And oh, I was what? like, that is an interesting combination. Chocolate Imagine being like, let me dip my chocolate in some mustard for the day. Well, I was thinking about these little minis that we have. What if they were actually filled with mustard instead of caramel? Would not eat them. <laughs> no, those would be really good for Spartan events. I though. despise mustard. <laughs> All right. So they are now selling. Oh, you wafted the candy over here and I can smell oh, it. And gosh, it's also open good. up the candy and eat it. It's just I didn't want it to be too loud on the podcast. And I don't want to hear you chewing either. All right. We are back. It actually took us a little bit longer to open up this package of chocolate. Than we we got. opened it from the bottom. But, <laughs> but you know, you got to do what you got to do to get that chocolate. And so that first bite feeling. Well, we don't need to hear you chewing. But how's that caramel inside? <laughs> all right so now we're at 1906 the fire of 1906 luckily does not damage and they only um they're only down for 10 days 10 days after the disaster they were they were back in business hmm. and so you know as we go through the 1900s they're just becoming you know just fine-tuning the version of Ghirardelli that we are today or that we have today so the Ghirardelli Square is now four stories, and the sign I was mentioning is 15 feet high. You can see it for miles. And then in the 18, or sorry, the 1960s, uh, they sold it. They sold the company. The family did. What? Um, to the Golden Grain Company. You know what they make? Grain. Um, oh, macaroni. Rice-a-roni. Ooh. You know the song Rice-a-roni, the San Francisco treat. 
More like Ghirardelli, the San Francisco treat. Yes, exactly. Mm. Okay. I think we're done with the eating on the microphone. <laughs> so in so obviously this uh this company is a big deal in San Francisco's history. And so in eight in nineteen sixty-five, they declare Ghirardelli Square an official city landmark. And as time goes on, the company is bought and sold. Northwestern Mutual Life comes in. And then Quaker Oats and, you know, some different companies come in. But what's great is that the owners, whoever was the owner at the time, they always pledged to maintain the flavor and integrity of Ghirardelli. That's good. So in 1982, they applied for and were granted the National Historic Register status for Ghirardelli Square. So now... Only if Ghirardelli could be alive to see. Well, it's like, you know, we're, we're now like 60 years past his death. Um, and so, so there's over 75 tenants. They offer cuisine, art, and merchandise from around the world. And it kind of, you know, it's a model for how to restore classic buildings throughout the whole country because they did such a, a job maintaining the original structure while updating it for, um, you know, modern technology. Okay, so then in the 1990s, we get a new president and CEO, and what happens is they start open up retail stores. So we are no longer in San Francisco. We're in Monterey, California. We're in Chicago, Illinois. We're in Orlando, Florida. We're in Walnut Creek, California. Okay. Well, that's, that's random. That's not too far from San Francisco, but it's not nearly as big as some of these other cities. Um, in fact, it's even in on the Strip in Las Vegas, Nevada, and, and Harrah's. Mm. And so they have places all over the United States now. And then they started getting a little fancier. Uh, they In 1999, they created these squares that Keegan's been munching on. Specifically. Hey, I only had two. Well, what did, what, what did you have? Which one? Do you remember? Oh, you had two different flavors? Yeah, milk chocolate and salt caramel and milk chocolate caramel. And so- then the third flavor is just milk chocolate. Well, milk chocolate with caramel filling is the most popular flavor. That and makes sense. It's good. I like it. And so, you know, now they're branching out to, you know, in, the, in 1999, they're branching out to Miami, Florida, in the gas lamp district in San Diego, California, or as your brother would say, gas lamp district. <laughs> I do remember. That was a funny time. In 2002, they celebrate their 150th anniversary, and then they start... Uh, getting new headquarters for the manufacturing. And so here we are. What it, we already passed 150 years and get to 2004, and it's now at its first national television advertising campaign. Well, now, and I get yeah, it. Television wasn't a, a thing in 1850, so. But it was in 1950. You know, there's there was definitely right, time right, before right. 2004, but I was like, okay. And now they start doing some holiday favorites like the peppermint peppermint bar, the eggnog, which I think I could do without, hmm. um, and then cinnamon spiced almonds. Yeah. Maybe there's a pumpkin flavor. Or... Oh, gosh, it's getting worse. Just give me my milk chocolate with caramel. <laughs> That's what I need to stick with. Or dark chocolate. Oh, speaking of dark chocolate, in 2005, they relaunched the dark squares chocolate with a new and improved recipe, and they actually became the first widely available chocolate to declare that they have cacao content on, on the packaging. And so um, I don't know why that's exciting. I don't remember this being a big deal. But now that I say it and I think back to candy bars that I get now, I see it on all kinds of stuff. How, you know, like 75%, oh, yeah. 80%, you know, so 
I don't know why that was a big deal back then. And I don't know why it happened, but but we know about it. And then also in 05, it launched its first national print advertising campaign. Okay, can we, for the baking chocolate, can we appreciate that for being a long time in the game? Because, I mean, they had print campaigns. They had Mm -hmm. newspapers and whatnot when it first started. Yeah, I guess. So then in 2011, it became the number two baking brand in the United States. Do you know behind what or no? I don't. Maybe Hershey's? Maybe. And then, you know, 2022 is 170 years. So just last year, they hit 170 years of this delicious chocolate. That's incredible. Speaking of incredible, this whole story happened because we went and played Pokemon. Yeah. I wonder what other uh, things we could stumble on Mm -hmm. while playing Pokemon. I guess we'll find out. (laughs) All right. Tell the people where they can find us. You can find us on Instagram at mastering.none. Yeah. and And Facebook? Not yet. And, you know, hey, if we get a request out there, we'll start a Facebook group. We'll start group. a Facebook group if needed. You got to comment on the videos. Not on the videos, on the podcast. Also, love us or hate us. Five-star reviews. Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcast, Spotify. Yeah, all that good stuff. All right. The whole shebang. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.